You are listening to Mi Vista Research Life, funded by EU Horizon 2020, MSCA Grant Agreement H61152, reaching out to the scientists of tomorrow. Welcome to the Vista Research Project and podcast. My name is Carola Woods. I'm the project manager on this really interesting. Project which is about optical frequency combs. I've been learning a lot from our early stage researchers about this. And this morning I have、uh, Mr. Moritz Bartnick, who is an early stage researcher at EPFL in Switzerland. Good morning, Moritz. Good morning. Lovely to see you and、um, for you to join us. What? I thought we could kick off with Moritz. Is、um, just asking you, why do you think your research is important? So in my research, I want to build、um, frequency comb sources that operate at a wavelength、um, of two micrometers and more. And probably you've learned about this in the previous episodes quite a lot. A frequency comb source is a stable pulse laser source with、um, a specific optical spectrum consisting of many equidistant chirps lines, like the teeth of a comb. And this type of spectrum is useful for various applications. For example,、um, to detect molecules and to detect the absorption、um, of molecules. This type of spectrum is useful for various applications. For example, to detect molecules that absorb a part of the comb spectrum. And in my、uh, research, I want to extend the operating、uh, wavelength regime of frequency combs into the infrared two micrometer band.、Um, and if we access this. Band, we can access the absorption fingerprints of important molecules or more important molecules, such as、um, ammonia, carbon dioxide, or water.、Mm-hmm. So my research will mainly be important for spectroscopy applications, such as the detection of water molecules, yeah, car- carbon dioxide or ammonia. Okay, so my non-scientist brain <laughs> is thinking: Why would you want to detect? These molecules. Have I understood that right? That you're developing lasers that detect different kinds of molecule. Um. Yes. Well, it would be interesting. For example, the ammonia. It could be. I mean, if you detect it, for example, in human breath, it could be an indication for some kidney disease or CO2 monitoring. It's not just health application, but. Could be one of the applications. So spectroscopy schemes. It's not just spectroscopy, Moritz. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> yes. So spectroscopy means that we have we have、uh, the optical comb spectrum, which consists of all those、uh, teeth. And basically, a molecule such as a CO2 molecule or a water molecule would just、um, basically absorb a few of these teeth. And then, if in the end we detect the Transmitted spectrum, we could see that one of the teeth is missing, and then we. This is an indication for the presence of、uh, a specific molecule. So a spectroscopy setup would be: you have, like, as an input, a frequency comb, then some absorption, and at the output, you detect the leftover frequencies, and then you have an idea of what molecules might have absorbed which、uh, teeth of your spectrum. 
do you detect a dangerous let's call it day let's say it's ammonia let's say it's am i right to call it a dangerous entity it doesn't need to be dangerous as actually i think ammonia might be part of the metabolism but of course I mean, I don't want, I mean, it's not just ammonia as an application, but we can also quantify it. So it's not just the presence, but also the amount. So it would be beneficial, for example, just to see if it increases, because then you would know that someone is sick or. I see. So is it when the comb filters it and blocks it or was it, is it when the comb absorbs it or sees it yeah, you can say filters so there will be very very like specific wavelengths like if you think like in terms of colors i mean it's infrared so it's invisible but i mean in the visible it's like colors so there would be like a specific color which is blocked by the absorbing medium and then there is this color missing in the throughput so how will it be applied in the real world? I mean, you've said a little bit about diagnosing, say, like a kidney condition. What will your sphere of research, how can that be applied in the real world? These laser sources, they can be very sensitive to disturbances like, like vibrations or something. So we want to develop fiber-based frequency comp sources, which means that uh, like the whole laser consists of optical fibers, first of all. And yet such a laser source would not be disturbed so much because there wouldn't be mirrors or any bulky like free space components. Mm -hmm. And in the real world, it would be nice to have a setup, which is, for example, to have a nice packaged laser source, which which can stand like a certain amount of disturbances. Then the output of this laser source would go through some medium which absorbs a part of the frequency comp spectrum. And then this is actually something um, very specific about frequency comps. If you use a specific type of frequency comp, which is a dual frequency comp. So a dual frequency comp is, is a source that emits two frequency comps, but the two comps, they have a slightly different teeth spacing. If you use a dual uh, comp source, for some absorption experiments. So you, you have some absorbing media that absorbs a part of the dual comp spectrum. So a specific wavelength range, frequency range, or like a specific color, if you want to, to call it a color. Um, then as a detector, you just need a photodiode. It's really a very, very simple detector in the end. You can think of it like a solar cell. It's also a diode. So for the detection, there would be a photodiode, only a photodiode, and we could measure the whole transmitted optical spectrum only with a photodiode. So normally in a spectroscopy experiment, you need prisms or optical grating, something that basically disperses your optical spectrum. So, so in a classical absorption experiment, you could have like white light, for example, which consists of uh, um, lots of uh, different optical frequencies and then when this goes into a prism it's dispersed so you have different frequencies like uh, like spatially separated due to the prism but like a rainbow when, yes like a rainbow but with a frequency comp we don't need the prism uh, anymore we could just use the photodiode that's the the advantage of using a frequency comp have you learned a lot at epfl or are you finding that you're using 
your knowledge so far or a bit of both? Um, I come from a different background that gave me a very similar like background knowledge and now I feel like putting my background knowledge just together in a new new way. That's so before really, I yeah. so before I was wake, working with um optical waveguides now they're optical fibers but the way to describe them is uh, very similar for example and before there might be like some other quantum properties of light and now the laser itself is based on quantum physics so that's okay. also something that they have in common okay so does that mean you're not just looking at light in terms of it being particles but now looking at in laser form mm, uh, right now i think it's more so there's quantum physics behind it because quantum physics is the reason that the laser even works the way i'm describing it right now is in the wave form i see gosh it's really it's really fascinating what is the best thing about being a researcher to be honest i mean i think this uh, could sound um, like a boring answer, but I think the best uh, thing about being a researcher is the exciting work for me. So being passionate about the job you have is really a great thing and even a privilege. And there's always like constantly um, something to learn. And yeah, this this may sound like a boring answer, but I think that's truly what's really the best thing for me about being a researcher. And then more generally, I would say um, that, of course, it's nice to work in an international environment. And I also like meeting um, researchers from all over the world, for example, in workshops and conferences and exchanging things with them. That's also one thing. But yeah, I think the most important or the most the best thing for me is really that I like what I'm doing. I think that's really a privilege. It's wonderful to hear, you know, the researchers on Mephista really kind of working with passion on their particular area. It's really, it's really rewarding for me. So can you describe a typical day in the lab, Moritz, if there is one? I would say on a typical day, I would come in at uh, 9.30 in the morning. I would first get a cup of coffee. Lovely. And then... <laughs> and then I would sit down on my desk and uh, have a look at my to-do list of things that I need to do. And if it's a day on which I planned uh, work in the laboratory, I would go to, to the lab. I would work on, on an experiment. So on some days you have lots of experiment that you want to take. Sometimes you're, I'm assembling an experiment, so there are not measurements to do but you just want to assemble it and uh, make it work um, but on other days there's not just work in the laboratory but there could also be work in front of the computer it could be around about reading a book or reading publications a paper it could also be just attending some class because at epfl in the doctoral program we we uh, attend also a few course courses what are your courses on so for now, I took courses on photonics. So there was some fiber photonics class, nonlinear fiber photonics, but that was m my decision. It's not from the photonics um, coursework, but I took some class on machine learning from which I learned quite a lot. So I'm not sure if I'm really going to apply it in my project, but I think it's nice to have an idea on how it works. Yeah. And um, 
also to know more generally about yeah techniques or approaches in 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 machine learning and maybe if at some point in my work there would be uh, a point on which it might might make sense to use machine learning i might not be aware and yeah, consider using it as a tool at some point so i think this was really instructive and a very good class yes indeed what kind of experiment are you working on at the moment is it like parameters of lasers or I mean, can you see can you see the laser that you're working with, or is it in the infrared range? So I'm working uh, in the infrared range, so unfortunately, there's not uh, very much to see. Um, so right now, I'm working on a dual com source in the two micron regime. So two micron is clearly infrared, so above eight hundred nanometers, uh, you cannot see light anymore. What is a nano? One nanometer is um, one billionth of a meter. My goodness. <laughs> but I'm working like at two microns. So this is two over a million. Right. So that's the frequency, is it? So it's, it's one over a 500,000 meters. Oh, meters. So that's, is that the height of the wave or, or the size of the laser what's that a measurement of it's not the uh, size of the wave so the wave has an amplitude yes that's uh, what you were like with your fingers like showing as the height of the wave yeah, but like the wave, sine wave yeah the wave length is the per, it's the period basically of your wave so uh, the pattern of the wave would repeat every two micrometers so that's like very fast. Is that it, the right adjective? It's I don't fast? think it's fast. It's small. It's more small than fast because then, I mean, then there's like the speed of light, which which brings in the speed. But just talking about the wavelength, it's just length. So it's very very short. the The period of the wave is very very short. So in one meter. It would, would like the the wave would oscillate uh, five hundred thousand times. And what are you trying to get that to do? So yes, so I'm working in the two micron range, and we were like previously talking about frequency comes and uh, yeah. absorption spectroscopy. And I'm working now on the dual com source that we were talking about previously. So I want to build a laser that emits two frequency comes at the same time so this is really the next piece of work that that i'm starting to work on right now yeah so i'm yeah just about to assemble this new laser okay so here we i think i'm following you but why why dual not mono why is dual better moritz so the dual come the dual frequency comb is necessary uh, in order to have a very simple detection scheme in the end. So as I said before, if you just have a single frequency comb, you will need PRISM, for example, at the end of the detection experiment in order to send different, com different components of the frequency combs in different uh, spatial directions. Right. And with a dual frequency comb, um, the transmitted light uh, can just go onto a photodiode. Okay, and, yeah. 
And then there can be, for example, some radio frequency analyzer, which is basically a radio, if you want to think of it in, in this way. Yeah. And then we can see uh, the comp spectrum without need, the need of, for example, a prism, which would be a very, very uh, easy detection scheme. So the dual frequency comp gives us an easy detection scheme and probably also a very stable detection scheme. I see. I, I have actually followed that and linked it back to what you said at the beginning, and I have a better understanding now. And so when you've got that, um, you can use it. That's when you can apply it to things such as ammonia detection or CO2. Am I, is that right? Yes. So if it works, there could be the dual frequency come source on one side. Then in the middle, there could be some, some gas cell that's... Uh, like a cell that, that contains a gas sample that absorbs a part of the frequency comp. And then in the end, there could be just the photodiode, which then records the transmitted comp spectrum. And so this could be used in medicine or in, in, or in transport or aviation. I mean, has it got multiple uses? What's the next step, I suppose, with it? I think there's really a big piece of work until you get like a product that you can sell and that's really used a lot in, in the real world. But one of the applications could really be just detecting these molecules. And um, yeah, medicine could be one application. Maybe in the atmosphere, it might be interesting to to, to detect the presence of, of certain molecules or also the concentration of certain molecules. Frequency comes have already become sort of a standard technology. Yeah. So they have developed in the past decades and now they're pretty developed, but not in this two micrometer wavelength range. So for now, they're very strong up to the 1.5 uh, micrometer range. And we want to extend this range, which could also extend the possible applications. I see. So gosh, that... 0.5 of a is it micron mm -hmm. so that 0.5 of a micron makes will make quite a lot of i mean to, it, it's minuscule right but it could make quite a lot of difference so it could make much of a difference because the absorption lines or the absorption fingerprints of molecules so with this i mean the wavelengths at which a specific molecule would absorb light this gets stronger at uh, longer wavelengths. So this would be beneficial because the signature of the molecule will become stronger the more we, we increase the wavelength. Why is it a longer wavelength though? It seems to, for me, I, I was, would have expected it to be shorter. Oh, it's two, it's two. It's literally the wavelength. So it's the length of the, of one oscillation of the wave. So two is, longer you're working a longer wavelength than yes. 1.5 you're listening to me FaceTime research life funded by eu horizon 2020 msca grant agreement h61152 and what do you like photonics moritz i have to say that in the beginning when I, so I kind of grew uh, into photonics. So in my previous university in Paderborn in Germany, I was uh, joining a photonics research group uh, 
actually in the third year of my studies already. And then I became part of that group. I had lots of photonics lectures, and I think I gradually developed some some interest in the photonic like uh, research field. But I have to say that in the beginning, I was very fascinated by the way that a typical photonics experiment looks like. So, um, so there's to me, it looked like in the beginning, it looked like, and it still looks a little bit like Lego. <laughs> there is uh, an optical, there's often a, an optical table. It's just a table that has uh, drilled holes in it, in a, like on a uh, quadratic grid. And yeah. then you would place like a laser source on this table, and then you would literally screw to this table different components that modify your laser light according to how you need it. And then you would use mirrors to reflect it on top of this optical table. And yeah, then you do some experiment with it. But the way it looks, it's really... Uh, so this fascinated me in the beginning. It's really like a toolkit on which you, from which you just take lots of different components and then you put them together and you have a nice experiment. And um, right now I'm not working um, on free space optics with mirrors and components that you put into the beam path anymore. I work uh, with optical fibers, so there are no mirrors anymore, but I'm still connecting optical fibers and I'm still connecting connecting um, different devices of of some sort of toolkit which contains all of the the building blocks and i really like the way that yeah photonics experiments look like and the way that they're assembled more it's an optical fiber like i've got fibers in my jumper what does an optical fiber do does it carry light or carry information it carries light, and uh, with this light, you can uh, encode information. So the principle um, that an optical fiber relies on is, uh, well, basically the reflection of light at the um, interface between two different media. So, for example, if you have two media that have a different refractive index such as water and air yeah. then if from the right angle for example from um, under the water you look at the water surface there are like certain angles at which you just see reflection of of of, uh, of the ground you know so you yeah. don't see the sky but you actually see like a reflection of what's happening below the water so this is called total reflection and this is basically what an optical fiber relies on so it's a it, it consists of a core that has um, um, a medium that has a higher refractive index than the medium that surrounds this core so it could be two different glasses for example and um, inside the optical fiber, light is always totally reflected, and for this reason, it remains inside the fiber core. So this is an optical fiber. Gosh, I mean, you've explained that so well. I mean, it's a thing of beauty, really. It's because light seems so abstract and it's everywhere, um, but it's also extremely concrete. It's just hard to. I mean, it, yes. you know, water. Water is hard to get hold of, but light seems impossible to get hold. Of. It seems like a container for light, but not just that. It's highly controlled. Yes, it's highly controlled. It's highly confined, so you can 
send your light anywhere and also it's uh, very low loss so a lot of effort like research effort in the past decades has gone into the development of optical fibers and now uh, they can be kilometers long and they don't they don't the light doesn't get lost in kilometers of optical fiber gosh it's astonishing what are you enjoying about Mephisto? Well, the, I think the project has just started, right? But actually, I have to say that we're still com already communicating within the Mephisto research a little bit. It's nice to work on similar topics within a group of PhD students. And I feel like, um, I mean, this is just starting right now, but I can imagine that there will be a very nice uh, collaboration and in the future and a very nice uh, exchange uh, in the future, future. Also, because there will be the second month. And I mean, even now, we are already, when someone has a small question, we're asking this question to the group. And I think when we all also become more like experts or champions in the, the frequency comb uh, research field, there will be more and more exchange. And I think this will be very, very fruitful. Can you talk about what qualities you need to be a researcher? If someone perhaps out there is at school, maybe doing A-levels like a baccalaureate or something, and they, they're thinking about a career in research, what qualities do you think they need? Um, I think you need to be excited for just for science or just for for discovering maybe yeah, just just the world so i think when i was i mean when i was small i was always just very curious about physics chemistry like all of those like natural sciences i was also doing i'm mean, just small experiments uh, myself when i was small i set up some little experiment um I, I produced some some hydrogen actually <laughs> when I was in high school, just just a small amount, just like a few hundreds of milliliters. And then actually uh, with my dad together, we lit it up and it bursted a little bit. So there was just some small chemical reaction, but I always enjoyed doing these little small experiments. It's was that just, at school or at home? No, no, at home. I was literally just Googling how to produce hydrogen. God, and what did you do? Uh, well, the experiment, it was, so I put iron in water to get some rust. And then I let the iron react with vinegar. And then uh, hydrogen bubbles just came up. And then I collected those bubbles in, in a glass. What, you just held the glass over it? Or? Yep, so basically, yeah, so inside the, the liquid, but yes, then the hydrogen. <laughs> but I mean, fast. yes, I mean, this is just, I mean, this is very far from photonics, but I think it it's just to say that very early I was just curious on on all those little experiments that you can do in your everyday life. Yeah. So I mean, some curiosity for nature. I think that's one quality you may may need maybe if you want to study physics. I think then you will um, enjoy physics as a as a subject, for example, for for studies. That's a wonderful uh, story. And and um, you're from Germany and you're now in Switzerland. Um, have you enjoyed moving country? Uh, yes, I have to say that I enjoyed it. Actually, during the 
COVID pandemic, just moving to a foreign country, it really felt like a privilege because no one was traveling at this time. And I just came here. And um, in Switzerland, we always had the freedom, for example, just to go to the mountains for some hiking, for example. And it really felt like traveling in the beginning, which was during the pandemic really a privilege so there were lots of new impressions to me even though there was the pandemic so I would say that moving actually felt pretty good. Is there any advice you can give as we draw to a close any advice you can give to young scientists? Um, yes so I mean I am still a young scientist right? Yeah. <laughs> but I think the most important thing is probably to believe in uh, what you want to reach and to pursue your goals. And that's the only way actually that you can achieve and reach your goals is just by pursuing them constantly. And from uh, yeah, Mike's like experience in the in the in the past years also during my studies i know that sometimes there can be a big chunk of work in in front of you for example when you just study start start uh, studying physics it it's like study physics so it sounds like a very 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 big project but if you just keep going and just pursue your your goals just little by little this chunk gets done and uh, yeah as long as you continue to work on on what you really want, I think you will be successful at some point. And um, maybe another um, thing would be that I think there's not just one right decision, for example, in in life, like at many points at your life. For example, if it comes to choosing something you want to study, um, so, for example, for myself, I think I would maybe also have been studying, uh, have been happy studying chemistry, say, or choosing a different direction in in physics, not photonics, but a different one. I think I could have been passionate about any topic in the end. So there can be two right decisions, and you have to choose one of the two right decisions. So maybe don't struggle too much with decisions. Yes, that is good advice, because sometimes I think that can lead people to making no decision. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Moritz. I've been talking to Moritz Bartnick, um, who is an early stage researcher for Mephista Project 861152, funded by the EU Horizon 2020. And Moritz is currently studying in Switzerland. Thank you so much, Moritz, for educating me about photonics today. Yeah, thank you very much for the nice chat. You are listening to Mephisto Research Life, funded by EU Horizon 2020, MSCA Grant Agreement 861152.